Welcome listeners. Welcome listeners. You're listening to Deeds in the Desert. The place where real estate investors tune in for the latest news and available investments at Ignite Funding. If you're on the hunt for a low effort, passive income stream, then turn up that volume and pull out the hammock as we get ready to feed you your weekly dose of real estate investing insights. Welcome to Studio Sanjeev, the mastermind, the the architect behind GGD Oakdale, also known as Rhino Holdings. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me, Pat. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's just jump right in. Let's talk about the newest and greatest deal you got available for our investors, which is known as Rhino Holdings Grimes in Hobbs, New Mexico. Why do you like this deal? You know, Hobbs is a, a, first of all, Hobbs is a great location. Uh, It's kind of oil country, but it's really booming. Uh, There's zero boxes and vacancy available. So we really like the box itself is a former Kmart. Uh, it's going to be subdivided into uh, six tenants and uh, we have five tenants locked up now. So we have a small vacancy left, but we have several tenants interested in that vacancy. So I really like it because it's already pretty much baked. It's now just building it and serving the community from there. Perfect. How long ago did you acquire it? I acquired Hobbs, uh, believe it or not, I, I acquired it in COVID. And uh, it took some time because, as everybody knows, COVID had a lot of effect on things. We didn't do a lot of construction during COVID just because of the fear of we didn't know what was happening. And so uh, we own it. We've 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 kind of we've we've the tenants have stick, stuck around with us to make this thing happen. And and so now we're going to build it and get it get it open. Perfect. And we're recording this kind of the end of November, early December here. Uh, where are you on the construction TI improvement side of things? So we are uh, we are midway there. We're probably about five months before we can deliver to tenants. Okay. And so uh, my guess is by summer of 2024, we will have tenants open and operating. We built a pad here a few years ago, and uh, those tenants are doing very well. And that that has Dunkin' Donuts and T-Mobile and another tenant in it. Do you still own that property? We do not. You that, sold that. We sold that property. What are you going to do with uh, this box? You know, that's a good question. I think the market's kind of interesting right now. So depending on where next year goes, uh, the way that the amount that we're leveraged, we'll be fine to refinance it and keep it should we decide. Uh, we generally build and sell so that we can continue to buy and build and sell more. Uh, but, you know, I think it's really going to be up to the market. And uh, my my preference would be to keep this one because... Uh, when you look at the elevations and what we're building, it's pretty nice. Definitely. Definitely. One of the premier uh, shopping centers in Hobbs. Uh, obviously, it's not a metropolis, um, uh, mega city uh, in the United States, but it, it's one, as you said, in, in the uh, growing part of the country, in kind of oil country right there on the east side of, of New Mexico and kind of close to Lubbock and and whatnot on the, the Texas side. So great location and great box or, or building, as you as you call it. Um, to uh, to put some quality, very quality tenants in. Yeah, no, we the, the tenants we have are national investment grade tenants, uh, and they're going to do very well. Retail does very well in Hobbs, um, and this part of the country, it's like the mayor told us recently. They said people are making uh, money uh, as if it's raining water. So I don't know what exactly that meant, but he said <laughs> that the, the area is doing very well, and uh, they're excited for the development. Absolutely. And you brought up a key point, and that's major creditworthy national tenants. Why is that important? What's that do for your bottom line? 
You know, it does a few things. Number one, it, it allows us to get lending very easily once it's built. We use Ignite often to do our construction loans and get things done just simply because of the relationship, the ability to get things finished and move faster than, you know, maybe, maybe other sources. But it really allows you to go with any lender bank to get it done. It also allows you to sell it at a better price because, you know, people are now looking for investment grade tenants. And the interesting part about retail is that the last probably, I'd say, five years, there hasn't been a lot of new retail built. So there's a very heavy demand overall in the entire U.S. right now. I think there's a, a little bit under 4% vacancy of retail. And so, you know, there's not a, you know, that the retail sector itself is very healthy. Right. And, you know, one of the, the biggest concerns some of our investors have is commercial real estate. They hear this term commercial real estate and they think all commercial is bad. You turn on CNBC and if you don't have to wait more than 15 minutes before you're going to hear the downturn in commercial real estate, that the bottom is coming. There's going to be blood in the streets. Watch out. Stay away. Why, in your opinion, is that inaccurate or not as accurate in the specific part of commercial that you operate in? Yeah, so I'm, I think it's accurate to a small sector of real estate, uh, specifically office and, uh, you know, and that's just simply because at COVID, everybody was able to work from home. And so the U.S. in general had a very significant office amount of square footage. And, you know, will that ever come back? Nobody knows. But, you know, as anybody's seen in anywhere where they live, they've seen, you know, a significant amount of office be depleted. Retail is on the, uh, is on the other aspect because retail actually faced some very interesting tides back in 2007, 2008, you know, it's funny because I would have family members come and give me a hug and say, oh, you're a retail developer. Tech is going to take you out. And everybody thought that tech companies were going to absorb uh, retail. And so from 2006, 2007, there's been less building of retail buildings because of that sentiment. But the reality is, is that that's not true. You know, retail tenants are doing very well. And even tech tenants are going more into retail, whether it's distribution, whether it's sales, you know, Amazon now has Amazon fresh, right? Uh, 10 years ago, they didn't have Amazon fresh. So, you know, I think things are changing. And so the retail sector, again, is very healthy. Um, and, you know, I, look, in any business, there's, you know, doom and gloom at some point or another. Uh, but I think commercial real estate is very safe. And I think the news is focusing on specific sectors to catch your attention, right? And so, I, I, again, we haven't seen much distress in the market. We haven't seen hardly any distress in retail. And that's what we focus on. That's probably 90% of our business is retail or retail developers. And we, we kind of stick in our lane. Perfect. With 90% of your business being in retail, which, as you just described, is doing extremely well, despite what you might read in the headlines and across the national news, what does the other 10% of your portfolio involve? So we, we also build multifamily. We've built several hundred units over the last few years. And uh, it's a great product, you know, and, and we, we also dabble in that. But we don't play as heavily just because we don't have the relationships or the deals like we have in retail. And so uh, we started to diversify a few years ago just to kind of make that it was 100% retail. And so now we're 90% retail, you know, and our objective is five years from now, we'll be 80% retail. And just like as any growing company, as time goes on, we, we will evolve to eventually where, you know, it'll be a 70, 30 split. And that's probably where we'll stay at, you know, our expertise is in retail. And so, you know, I, I always tell 
my kids, you know, uh, whatever you do, do your best at it. And so we focus on what we can do best and, and do that again and again and again. Right. And when you do it again and again and again, it, it uh, kind of feeds upon itself, doesn't it? When you do a good deal with a, a seller, they'll come back to you with another opportunity or you close a deal without retrading, the broker will bring you another deal. Or when you close on time without having to postpone, other brokers hear about it and bring you more. Do you kind of see what you do as, um, you know, say what you do and do what you say type of person transi- transition into more deal quality coming your way? 100%. I think, you know, our, our Rhino's motto has always been, don't just say what you do, do as you say. And just like you said, you know, I, I think our relationships in the business, whether it's with you as our lender, whether it's with our, our, our retail tenants or whether it's with our, even our staff or anyone else, our contractors, we focus on those relationships to do things. We don't want just this transaction. We look at the next transaction. And so we ensure that this transaction will be successful because anytime you fall, nobody wants to work with you again. And where our success pattern has been has been to ensure that every deal we do is uh, is constantly progressing and things are getting done. And 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 yeah, I think everything everything we try to strive for is to be exactly what we who we say we are. And you know, this is interesting times. You know, there's a lot lot of lot of developers, a lot of lenders, a lot of other people that are changing course. And you know, we really are just sticking to the course. Right. You know your direction and you're sticking to it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Now, hopefully our investors do as well. Um, where do you see your company transitioning over the next, call it 12 to 24 months? Obviously, you're saying 90% of your business is in retail and you're probably going to keep it there. Maybe drop it down a little bit. But are there new markets you're looking to go into? And within retail, are there certain tenants you're trying to stay away from or trying to get bigger boxes, smaller boxes? What exactly are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, you know, and predominantly in the past, we were a big box developer, which means we would buy bigger boxes just like Hobbs and we would split it up. Now we've started to work for other companies to do pad deals like Chipotle, Starbucks, Dutch Brothers, you know, the typical stuff you see uh, when you're driving down the street and you want to get some type of quick service food. And uh, I think the, the next 12 to 18 months, you know, we're being cautious on what we buy. Uh, we're looking at everything that, you know, but we're, and, but we're also being cautious just because like you said earlier, there's headwinds and we need to make sure that we understand those headwinds and, and we address it. I think we're going to continue our growth and, you know, we really look for projects that have a lot of upside and ability to be able to execute on that upside. Mm-hmm. You know, on the upside component, we, one of the questions I get from investors from time to time is how much is enough? What is the bandwidth you guys can handle? Why is it that you can go into a new market that only has one asset in it and be able to find such a great deal and execute, more importantly, execute on that great deal? Uh, How is that even possible? And when are you going to be stretched too thin with your current stack to make another purchase or another endeavor into a different market even viable? You know, that's a great question. I think we, we looked at that a few years ago as, you know, what's our ability? And so we've, we've, you know, if you look at Rhino's portfolio, several of the centers we own are long-term holding large, large centers, you know, you know, several hundred million dollars of value. They're very large. So not everything we do is small. So we've, we've kind of diversified into some very large projects and then we continue to move forward in new projects. And I, you know, as far as staffing goes, you know, we outsource some things that we generally don't feel we'd be the best at just because we're not that close to the property, i.e. Hobbs, New Mexico. We're here in Las Vegas today. 
I couldn't be in Hobbs today myself. So we have a Hobbs property manager that's local. They can go see the property. They can talk to the property. Now we still go to assets once a quarter and we go see and ensure everything's running. But I don't know if there's a capacity of, you know, how far we can stretch, but I do believe that, you know, we are now becoming smarter on how we manage things going forward and where we build. For several years, we went to many different markets for specific tenants. And those tenants drove our growth. Same thing's happening now. You know, we didn't go to Hobbs, New Mexico just by a whim. We went there because our tenants came to us and said, we wanna be in Hobbs, New Mexico. What can you do here for us? And they came to us years ago and that's how we bought the property. But certain events happened and we decided that we're gonna, we're gonna wait for the right time. And now is the right time. Gotcha. And so your bandwidth really kind of transitions. You're no longer really a, a project property manager. You turn into almost an asset manager. So you don't have to be there day to day. You don't have to see what's going on and really deal with the tenants on a one-off basis. You let the property manager or the regional manager handle that while you in the corporate office can handle more of the asset allocation and the overall game plan and, and how you're going to uh, finance everything through and through. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yeah. Once we, you know, our job is to get the project finished, stabilized. Once it's stabilized, we put in an asset manager and a property manager locally that may not work for our company directly. They're, they're a third party vendor. We can hold their, their feet to the fire to ensure that they manage the thing properly. And, and then it's just cash flowing, right? And, and that cash flow is what we're building for us to have a larger company. And so as we, we build these things, we can take on debt with Ignite. We get these things built out. Then we go and turn it into cash flow if we don't sell it. Mm -hmm. And we've sold a lot of projects over the years simply because it was the need for us to be able to buy more projects we needed to sell in order to buy. Gotcha. Another question I get a lot is why does a guy with this net worth and this uh, bandwidth of, of property acquisition at such a great rate come to Ignite funding when you're charging them? 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever percent it is, uh, why would he ever come to Ignite as opposed to paying cash, going to a bank, going to friends and family, whatever the case may be, why Ignite? You know, I, I'd say, first of all, I'd say it's relationship. You know, we, we've, we've grown with Ignite over the years, just like Ignite has grown, you know? And uh, I think it's the ability to be able to get things done. So it's that reliance. You know, when we go into a, a deal to buy something, the sellers know that Rhino performs. The reason why Rhino can perform is because it has Ignite funding right behind it. And so that, that ability has given us more confidence for us to go push the envelope to go buy more and do more. And I, I think it's also uh, the professionalism, um, you know, and, and, and frankly, I, I love to see when you underwrite and look at things, Pat, it's great because you, you check my numbers, you have questions, you do things. So it's a relationship that we work on together to kind of make things go. And you're right, we do have other lenders. So when oftentimes what we do is we we come to you and yeah, we borrow at 12, 13% or whatever the number is, but we're using it for six to eight months, you know, and then we're paying it back and then we're cash flowing. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize is that you go to a, a regional bank and you're going to sit down and you're going to talk to somebody who may not be able to lend to you in New Mexico. Right. I, I have to find a bank in New Mexico to lend to me in New Mexico. And then I go do that. And then I've got to find somebody else. And they may or may not be able to understand the project and the timeline that's needed. And where Rhino makes money is in speed. You know, our specialty is getting things done and getting things done on time. COVID changed some things for us for a few years, but didn't deter us from going forward. It just made us realize some things as far as how we continue to move forward 
regardless of the circumstances. Right. You know, and I didn't really, to be honest with you, I think the reason it, it has worked out so well is, is, uh, the value add that both of us bring, which is speed, ease, and convenience in going through a project. I don't want to toot our own horn over ignite, but I'm sure there's not too many lenders that you deal with that are as quick and as easy to, to deal with as we are. And because of that, you're, you're more likely to get away with charging, being charged an extra point or two because of that. And obviously as ignite, we pass that along to the investors and they get to collect on that. And they are the reason we are speed, ease, and convenience associated with our product. So a uh, big shout out to the investors that we currently have for that to enable us to perform as you see it on a, just kind of a day-to-day -day operation. Yeah. And we, well, look, we appreciate the investors as well, because without them, there's no us. And right. so at the end of the day, I think, you know, it's, it's not just speed. It's not just a relationship. It's multiple things, but over the years, you know, if, for example, it's funny because, you know, people have asked me this question in the past and say, well, if I'm going to kill a project for paying you an extra five or 6% over six or seven months, over six or seven months, is that project really worth doing? How much margin do we really have? And, and I'm, I'm a little bit old school. I don't look at what you're making. I look at what I'm making and it has to make sense. And, and, and we don't mind paying what we pay you because honestly, you've been with us from the beginning. And as our company grows, so does yours. Mm -hmm. And we grow together and, and, it, and it continues to flourish. Absolutely. And because of it con continuing to flourish, uh, we're going to be looking to do more and more deals with you. You said originally you're kind of getting away from the big box, these big, big developments that you've been utilizing Ignite funding for and getting more into the out parcels or the, the QSR restaurants, the drive-throughs, the, the pads. Um, how do you see that fitting into your overall portfolio and most specifically the loans in which you obtain from Ignite fitting into the acquisitions you're doing? Are they going to be uh, parcel split acquisitions? Are they going to be value add because you have a tenant in tow? How do you kind of foresee that happening over the next year or so? I think everything we do has a value add component, whether it's signing leases, whether it's renewing tenants that are about to expire, whether it's taking a parcel split play and we, we you know, we buy a property that has, you know, one parcel and we turn it into nine and we turn around and we break it up. Everything we do at Rhino is to add value at some point or the other in the process. So I think that will continue on, you know, maybe let me correct myself. It's not that we're getting out of the big box. It's just predominantly what we used to do. Right. And so, you know, that split has just changed a little bit because we've seen other opportunities with these pad users and they're profitable. And so the, the, the big box stuff is still part of our portfolio. I mean, we've done so many. I think we've done 20 Sears and probably 10 Kmarts over the last, you know, seven or eight years. Those are big redevelopments. And we've had some very good success on those. And we want to continue that. So I, th I think going forward, we're going to see some net lease buys. You know, recently we did a deal with you guys where we bought a net lease investment at a very good rate. And, you know, you are seeing some some developers out there that either didn't have the bandwidth to withstand a variable interest rate or spent too much and the market has shifted a little bit. And so they didn't have a, a profit margin. And so we are seeing those type of deals and buying those type of deals are attractive to us because if we're buying something at a very high cap rate that we would build to normally, we don't have to do any work. We just go yeah, and buy it. Right. So that's where it's shifting a little bit is where we're seeing opportunities where other guys are calling us. And again, as our company grows, we're seeing more and more opportunities and we're just being selective on those opportunities. Not to say that we won't do the big box because frankly, we're 
we're doing it now. Right. Uh, it's just we're looking at different things, different opportunities than maybe what we looked at in the in the start of our career, where we were just focused on that, and that was solely how we kind of buttered our bread. Are there any markets you're looking to get more heavily into or maybe even more importantly, markets you're looking to get out of? You know, there's no market per se that we're looking to get out of because we generally look at the markets that we go into as either a thriving market. We sell right away if it's a market, you know, I don't want to say that we don't want to be in. It's just a market maybe that we don't want to be in long term. Uh, we definitely would love to grow more in Vegas here. Other markets like Idaho that we're in and and a lot of like, you know, Washington, Oregon, you know, honestly, we don't, we don't look at it as if we, we want to get out of a per se market, because if the market's rough, we don't get into that market, you know, and, and there are certain markets that we just have stayed out of for the simple reason that, you know, we don't believe that over time they're going to grow. You know, there's been a lot of shift in the population of, you know, over the last five years. I mean, you look at Vegas, you know, Vegas is adding 200 people a day. It's unbelievable. You know, I mean, everywhere you drive, you see it's, it's, it's growth. You go to other markets and, you know, there was a CBD or a central business district. And that central business district has now slowly dried up and people are moving. We don't want to, we don't want to develop there. So, you know, I, 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 you know, as far as any specific markets, you know, anything on the West, we really like, uh, we do a lot in the Midwest. And it's really just going for specifically for the deal. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Well, before I let you go here, any parting words uh, for your your market prognostication as to what your crystal ball tells you, what's coming up, or any, anything that you want to bestow onto to our investors before we leave here? Yeah, I, you know, I think you know it's funny because you see a lot of articles that come out say fearful of commercial real estate i think commercial real estate right now is a great place to get in and a lot of opportunity i think in interest rates rose very fast you know nobody's ever seen them raise it 10 or 11 times in a row and there was a lot of you know a lot of changes and now you know you look at the us treasury it's dropped 25 basis points in the last 2 weeks everybody's talking about the rates going backwards so when the rates if and when the rates go backwards the market is going to catapult. There's a lot of patient money that's been sitting out there. It's an election year. So there's a lot of interesting outside factors. So I would just say that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on commercial real estate. I think there's a huge opportunity there. We're very bullish on it. Uh, you know, and it, it's funny, a lot of the stuff we buy and build as inflation has incurred, we can't build that at the same price that we own it at. And so those opportunities are continuing to arise. And we look at that as well as, you know, how, how do we value something? You know, could we rebuild this today? And do we have purpose of it? And so I, I would just tell everybody that the commercial real estate market is strong, specifically related to retail, uh, what I know, right? And uh, I, I can't be, I can't proclaim to be an expert on industrial, which has done very well, or storage that's done very well, uh, or even office that, you know, has had some, some bumps, you know, but, and other than that, I would just say that, you know, my, my forecast is that the interest rates are going to at some point go backwards. And that's something that I would like to, you know, say thank you to you too, is that you guys, you know, your rates may have been higher when rates were low, but you didn't change them when rates are high, you guys kept it the same. And so that has been, you know, immensely, immensely appreciated. And so, you know, it, it's the same, no matter what the market is, it's just us producing and you guys providing those opportunities for us. 
So I would just say thank you for that. Really just look forward to, to working together and making some fun things happen over the next 12 months. And, and I would also say that, you know, all these doom and gloom articles that come out, and there's actually been some very positive articles in the Wall Street Journal. They published an article that strip centers are now king. Uh, they just published an article that old malls are, you know, and, and if you remember, you know, five, seven years ago, all the articles were malls are dying. Death of the mall. Right. Malls are really thriving right now. A lot of these guys are getting different uses. They're, they're, things are popping up. You have some tech users. You have, you know, Wayfair, for example, and other places that are taking on old department stores. And they're using them as not only sales, but they're using them as distribution. And they're bringing in traffic. And, and so I, I, I think what we have seen is that the last probably 10 years, retail has been underbuilt. But the demand continues to grow. The population continues to grow. And, you know, and now we're seeing new retailers. I do believe over the next year, you'll probably see a few retailers start to teeter only for the reason that they were already struggling and now their interest rates have risen. Most, most businesses have variable interest rates and they're going to be affected by that. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, one or two tenants that pop up in a bankruptcy, but I don't think they'll go away. And I also don't think that that affects the whole market. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you stopping by and dropping some wisdom on us as you always do. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Thanks for joining us this week on Deeds in the Desert, where short-term investments meet long-term investors. We hope you enjoyed the content so much that you share it with all your friends. Who doesn't like learning about passive fixed income, right? Still hungry for more education? Visit our website at ignitefunding.com. Or if you're ready to take the leap and start investing, give us a call at 702-761-0000 and schedule a free investor consultation. 